Uh, yes, I, I am Greg Boyd. A few people didn't recognize me. Uh, <laughs> Someone commented, looks like we got a real preacher for once. It's like, <laughs> thanks, man. Uh, all right. We, uh, once in a while, do things a little different around here, and so this probably wouldn't come as too much of a surprise. We're here to reflect on the cross, and it often is, it tends to be kind of a solemn thing. And so we wonder, this might seem a little out of character, but the point that's being made in this video clip that we're going to show is just too good to pass up. So um, we're actually going to start this Good Friday Reflection with a video clip from a movie I think that a lot of you have seen. Uh, it's called Finding Nemo. So check this out. Hey guys, wait up! Whoa. He called, he said it was called a, a butt. Oh, wow, that's a pretty big butt. Oh, look at me. I'm going to go touch the butt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah? Let's see you get closer. Okay. Be back. Come on, Nemo. How far can you go? Oh, um, my dad says it's not safe. Nemo, no! Dad? Oh, you're about to swim into open water. No, I wasn't It's just a good go thing I was here. Dad, if I hadn't no, shown up, sorry, I don't know. he wasn't going to go. Yeah, he was too afraid. No, I wasn't. This does not concern you, kids. And you're lucky I don't tell your parents you were out there. You know you can't swim well. I can swim fine, Dad, okay? No, it's not okay. You shouldn't be anywhere near here. Okay, I was right. You know what? We'll start school in a year or two. No, Dad, just because... You're scared of the ocean. Clearly you're not ready, and you're not coming back until you are. You think you can do these things, but you just can't, Nemo. I hate you. There's nothing to see. Gather uh, over there. Excuse me, is there anything I can do? I am a scientist, sir. Uh, is there any problem? You know, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt things. He, he isn't a good swimmer, and I just think it's a little too soon for him to be out here unsupervised. Well, I can assure you, he's quite safe with me. Look, I'm sure he is. But you have a large class, and he can get lost, you know, from sight if you're not looking. No, I'm not saying you're not looking. Oh, my gosh! Nemo's swimming out the sea! <gasps> Nemo! What do you think you're doing? You're gonna get stuck out there, and I'm gonna have to get you before another fish does! Get back here! I said get back here now! Stop! You take one more move, mister! Don't you dare! If you put one fin on that boat, are you listening to me? Don't touch the boat. Nemo! He touched the butt. You just pounded your little tail right back here, Nemo. That's right. You were in big trouble, young man. Do you hear me?
it's gone. It's gone. No, no, we can't be gone. No, no. Nemo. 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 No. Nemo. Nemo. No. No, please, no. No, no. Has anybody seen a boat? Please, a white boat. My son. My son. Help me, please. Nemo thought he knew better than his father, thought he was a good swimmer, thought he knew about the ocean. His father had given him all these stern warnings and uh, was pretty angry, but he was doing it out of love because he knew the dangers of being out in the open uh, sea, out from under the coral reef. And out of that love, he sternly warned Nemo and, and, and rebuked him. Uh, for, for even thinking about going out there. And then when Nemo is, from their perspective, kidnapped, he's really just suffering the consequences of the rebellious decision that he made, foolishly swimming out there to the boat. But his father at that point, it's not anger anymore, it's, it's terror. He's distraught, he's pierced with, with, with grief. Um, and the rest of the movie, he spends uh, doing everything he can, putting himself in harm's way, taking all these risks uh, to find Nemo, to get him back. And I don't want to be a spoiler alert here, but, but uh, he, he, it all turns out pretty good in the end. It would be a pr- pretty terrible children's movie if it didn't. It, it, it turns out well. But see, I, I'm sure some of us parents can relate. Um, you, you, you have your wonderful, beautiful children, and you raise them the best as best you can, and no one does it perfectly, but you pour into them, and, and you, you try to teach them to walk in the right ways, and, and you warn them about going down certain avenues, but there can come a time where they start making decisions for themselves, and it can just grieve you to the core of your being to see your children walking in that way. A couple of years ago, I spoke with a couple here at Woodland Hills who... They told me about their son, how their son had, uh, around the age of 15 or 16, started hanging out with the wrong crowd and started experimenting with drugs. And they were weeping as they told me about how, when he was a little boy, he was just so tender and um, just so adorable. And he was so precocious. He was, was so full of potential. Had was a straight-A student. And they were saying how he could have gone to you know, any college he wanted to and had all the, the, the world before him. But he just squandered away year after year by falling deeper and deeper and deeper into this drug addiction. And they had done everything possible to intervene, to try to turn him around, to implore him uh, to get help. Tried everything, but he ended up just continuing down this path. And this this story doesn't have a good ending. uh, Because at the age of 24, this young man overdosed on uh, meth and a cocktail of some other things, and the parents were pretty sure that it was intentional, uh, that he had done this on purpose. And so the path that this man chose to go down ended up destroying him. The reason I was speaking with this couple at this point, it had happened two years earlier, but uh, now their issue was that the wife couldn't stop beating herself up over this. Uh, She was living in that tormented world of what if. What if we had just done this? Maybe if we had just done this. 
maybe if we hadn't been so hard over here, if we, you know, whatever. And I just reassured her that no one raises kids perfectly. We all make mistakes, but, but you, she's not to blame. This is not your fault. Uh, and it's a device of the enemy to just bring us into condemnation as we're in the midst of our worst pain to inflict more pain on us by making us, the, putting the blame on us. But see, the, this couple's pain, as they had to watch for several years, six or seven years, see their son get deeper and deeper and deeper in this, walking down a path of self-destruction. That pain, and then to have this tragic consequence, that pain is a little, little glimpse of the pain that God experienced watching this young man go down this course. Because God's capacity to love is infinitely greater than ours. Even the love of parents for their children, as much as we love them, God's love is more. And see, this is a dimension of the cross. The pain of God on the cross, part of the dimension of that, part of what it reflects, is the Father's heart breaking as his children walk in ways that he knows are going to be destructive. The cross is our window into the heart of God. We see into the very essence of God on the cross. What we see there is perfect love, perfect self-sacrificial love. But what we also see there is the perfect pain that comes with that perfect self-sacrificial love. The cross reveals the pain of God, suffering rejection from the people he loves. Uh, it, it, it reflects the pain of God who... who knows that the course that people are taking is going to lead to destruction and he implores, he does everything possible to turn us around and yet sometimes we just choose to go our own way. The pain that we see reflected on the cross is the pain of parents watching their son go down a path of self-destruction, squandering his potential away and then finally squandering his his life away. The pain that's reflected on the cross is the pain of Nemo's father watching that boat get farther and farther away. See, this is why the Bible describes sin as something that is self-destruction. Here's the thing. People often think, it's my impression at least, people think that God's problem with sin is, is that it breaks a rule. God gave a rule, and we broke it, and so it's like it challenges his authority, and that's what makes him mad. How dare you? It's really a, quite a pharisaical picture of God, as though laws were ends in and of themselves, as though that, that was what's really important to God. But see, God isn't into laws for themselves. He's into people. And when he gives commands, it's always for our well-being. As the creator, he designed us. He knows how the world works. He knows what's good for us. He's in the position of Nemo's father. He knows the ocean very, very well. He created the ocean. And so it's in our best interest to follow his instructions, whether we see it or not. And when we violate his instructions, his commands, it's always detrimental to our well-being. So God's problem with sin isn't that it challenges his authority like he's into a power game. God's problem with sin is that it moves us in a, in a, in a direction of self-destruction, in the direction of death. And with all of his heart, out of his passionate love for us, God wants to protect us. And it can come across as anger, it can come across harsh, like Nemo's father did, but it's all done out of love. He wants to protect us. He wants us to enter into the life that he created for us, into the fullness of life, the joy of life. And he knows that 
this way of walking, going our own way, well, it squanders that. It ruins it. And see, this is why the Bible talks about sin as, as self-destructive. It says in Psalms, for example, it says, Those who are pregnant with evil conceive trouble and give birth to disillusionment. The trouble they cause recoils on them. Their violence comes down on their own head. So the author they're saying is that the, the sin, rebelling against God, leads to disillusionment and destruction. As naturally as conceiving a child leads to giving birth to a child. And there's something that's inherently self-destructive about sin, whether we see it or not. The trouble that you cause others is going to recoil back on you, the passage says. It, it always boomerangs. And the violence you intend towards others, well, that very same violence comes down on our own head. Sin is inherently self-destructive. And that's why God warns us about it. This is why you find in the Bible very frequently when, when, when the children of Israel were facing the, the terrible consequences of having rejected God, going their own way, doing their own thing, thinking that they knew better. As they're facing the consequences of those things, God says things like this. Have you not brought this on yourselves by forsaking your, the Lord your God when he led you in the way? I was leading you in, in the way that would have led to life, but you wanted to go your own way, and you brought this destruction on yourselves. And then he says, your wickedness will punish you. Your backsliding will rebuke you. The people's own wickedness is, is their punishment, and their backsliding. It, 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 is, it brings the pain that they're about to suffer. So in a real sense, we punish ourselves as we go down the roads that God knows leads to destruction. Sometimes, as the children of Israel are facing the consequences of their sin, and that's just what the Bible means by the a judgment of God, these, these death consequences, the Lord will ask things like this, are they not harming themselves, harming themselves to their own shame? And then he, he asks them, he plores with them, why bring such great disaster on yourself? He implores them to listen to my wisdom. Don't bring this disaster on yourself because that road leads to that end. Every sin is an act of pushing God away. And God is the source of all life. So every sin is an act of moving towards death. That's why uh, the Lord sometimes in the Bible says things like this. He says, but if you wrong me, you damage your own soul. This is God's problem with sin. It's not about a rule. No, he, out of his profound love, he... It grieves him to see us being harmed. If you wrong me, you damage your own soul. When you reject me, you are flirting with death. So God, seeing that sin harms us, he's like Nemo's dad, and he's like this couple that I have talked about. His heart is just grieved as he sees us moving in ways that he knows is going to bring us harm. It breaks God's heart, and that is one dimension of the pain that God that gets revealed about God on the cross. His pain over sin. The thing is this. Jesus bore our sin, and he suffered the consequences of all sin. And that's what is referred to as the judgment of God. He stood in our place and suffered those consequences. And that the perfect love that was revealed in that act, by him becoming a, a human being and, and standing in solidarity with us and, and suffering the curse that we deserve, that act of self-sacrificial love defeated the devil who had kidnapped us. And it, in principle, has liberated us, it's freed us, it's reconciled us to God. 
But see, the world still operates according to the Creator's design. And sin is still self-destructive. Sin always still has those, those natural negative consequences. And so the cross doesn't mean that God is no longer pained by sin. Because sin still has those death consequences. Rather, because the cross is our window into the very heart of God, the cross reveals what God always is like. What God always experiences when his children walk away, past, present, and future. It pains the heart of God to the core of his being. It's the pain of being rejected by the ones he loves. And it's the, it's the same kind of pain that Nemo's father had when his son said, I hate you. It's the pain of suffering that rejection, but it's also the pain of seeing his children move in a direction that leads away from life and leads to destruction. So today I want us to consider this. See, the, the, the cross set us free from bondage to sin and bondage to Satan. But he didn't set us free so that we could keep on engaging in this behavior as though it wasn't still self-destructive because it is rather he suffered on the cross to free us from our addiction to self-destructive behavior and to free us and empower us to begin to walk in a way that leads to life uh, so that we can enter into the fullness of life that that god has for us all that he designed us to have to experience He, he died to set us free and to walk in that life but see when we continue willfully to go against his will, we are acting as if we were not free. We are acting as if we know best. We are acting as if the cross never happened. We are acting as if the way God created the world isn't the way God created the world, and that sin wasn't inherently destructive. In fact, when we continue to intentionally walk in ways that are against God's will, we continue to inflict pain on our Father. And it's the same pain that is manifested on the cross. So in a very real sense, our sin is one more nail in the cross. Our sin is re-inflicting the pain of Calvary on God all over again. It's as if if the father went through all of that, risking his own life to find Nemo pursuing him frantically out of love, pursuing him, finally finding him. It's as if he brings him home into the safety of the coral reef, but right away Nemo just goes right back out in the ocean, tormenting his father. His father's saying, going through that same traumatic experience again, his heart breaking, warning him, but Nemo just continues to torment his father. And so tonight, as we think about the cross... The very fact that God had to go to such an extreme measure to reconcile us to himself and free us from the one who had kidnapped us, the devil, it shows you that sin is serious business. And while the cross has set us free and in principle reconciled us to God and and done all of that, it's still serious business because it harms us and inflicts tremendous pain on Abba Father who loves us more perfectly than we could ever possibly imagine. So I'd like us to kind of assume, try to step into the Father's perspective on this and feel the pain that he has when we walk in our own ways. 
It's the pain that's revealed on the cross. I'd like us to think about three things, three questions. Number one, as we now go into a time of worship and we're going to contemplate the cross, number one, will we trust, can we trust that everything God does and everything God teaches, everything God says, he does out of a profound, profound love for us. And he does it for our well-being. Whether we can see it or not, and frankly, usually we can't. But can we just trust that he knows best, that he's the creator, that he designed us. He knows what he's saying, and it's out of love. He's not a killjoy. He's not a party kill. No, it's out of his profound love that he instructs us to walk in a certain kind of way. It's out of his profound love for us and for our own well-being that he tells us to flee from immorality. It's out of his profound love for us and for our well-being that he tells us to put off all hatred and put off all, all unforgiveness and get rid of grudges quickly and purge your mind of all violence and purge your life of all violence and purge your attitude of all violence. It's, it's out of profound love for us and for our well-being that he says, don't adopt the ways of the world. Don't, don't, don't go about hoarding things and chasing after pleasures and, and, and living as though this, this, this here now is all that you had. It's out of his love for us and for our well-being that he tells us, don't go about in the ways of the world using people and using things to your own end out of his love for us and for our well-being he tells us don't cheapen yourselves by giving your bodies away outside of the marriage covenant and and then don't don't out of his love for us he says don't go to quick and convenient solutions like the world by aborting your children it's out of his love for us and for our well-being that he, he tells us to speak the truth and never be involved in duplicity Let your yes be yes and your no be no and never lie, never cheat, never connive. Be straightforward. It's out of his love for us and for our well-being that he tells us to die to our self-centeredness. Because real life, he says, is found in in caring about others and in pouring out for others and sacrificing for others the way he did for us. It's out of his love for us and and for our well-being that he says don't fall into the bondage of drugs and alcohol and pornography. It's out of his profound love for us and for our well-being that he he says, don't be beating yourselves up for mistakes in the past that I've already forgiven as though your sin was bigger than my grace. No, no, be free, be free. It's out of his love for us and for our well-being that he implores us to always keep him at the center of our life and to seek first the kingdom of God and to never let anything become a greater priority than him in our life. He's not just doing that because he wants all the attention. No, he he wired creation in such a way that he knows the best way to live. He knows where joy is. He knows where fullness is. He knows we're hungry for it. So he implores us to stop trying to find it out there and all these false claims. It's all found in him. And the beauty of his character that we just sang about, the beauty that's revealed on the cross. So number one, can we trust that God really does have our best interest in mind? He always has. The lie of the devil, and it goes right back to the garden, is to paint a picture of God where he doesn't have our best interest in mind. He just wants to keep us in a box. It was out of love and for their well-being that God said, don't eat of that tree. But the enemy deceived them. Let's not be deceived. God's always in our corner, always on our side, always got our back. This profound love leads him to just want to protect us and lead us in the way that leads to life. And secondly... Secondly, can we, can we enter into and, 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 and try to fathom the way that sin breaks the heart of God? Can we see 
the pain of the father feeling the rejection of his children and that frantic grief that he has as we rebelliously go down our own ways and ignore his, his wisdom. And then third, if we can experience the father's heart, his love for us and also the grief and the pain of sin that Calvary reveals, as we see that, can we love our father and love ourselves enough to turn from it? And tonight I must really kind of look into our hearts. What are the areas of our life? Whether it's attitudes or behaviors or relationships. What are the things that break the Father's heart? That set us apart from Him. That inflict pain on Him. And out of love for Him and love for ourselves and trusting in His wisdom, can we decide that we're going to put that aside? And as we do that, I encourage us to confess that to him. And sometimes it helps to confess it to somebody else. Here's what's been going on, and I need to change. This is what the Bible calls repentance. It just means to turn. And as we do that, let's ask the Father to send his spirit to help us do this, because sometimes that can be really hard, really hard. And we can't do it by our own willpower. We need his power. And so let's ask him to send his power. Let's ask him to forgive us for breaking his heart and walking away from him and bringing destruction on ourselves. Whatever way that looks like in your life, ask for, for that forgiveness. And then when you've asked for it, receive it. Receive it because it is given. He's as quick to forgive us as Nemo's father was to forgive Nemo. He wants us to learn from our mistakes, but don't. he never wants us to be living in regret. Even for things that can't be undone, Life's like that. There may still be consequences for past decisions we've made because the world's wired that way, but between you and the Father, it's the minute we confess, bam, it's a clean slate. You are pure. There's no, no, no room for groveling, no, no room for you know, thinking that you have to somehow earn it back or something. No, it, it's, it's a start over. And so receive that. Learn from the past, but don't live in regret of the past. The enemy, his favorite device is to jump on us he tempts us into sin and then he jumps on us. The minute we try to get out of it by putting all the blame on us and the shame on us and, and the condemnation because he knows that if we stay in condemnation over this stuff, we'll just be falling back into it. The only way to get out of it is to feel the forgiveness of it. To realize that you have been set free from this. You just haven't, haven't walked in it yet. Trust the Father. Trust the Father. Feel his pain. And then let's turn from what pains him as we contemplate the cross tonight. Well, we'll be doing this by sharing communion. This is the sign of the covenant that was forged between God and us on Calvary. And the sign is there just to remind us of what this covenant is all about. And so on the Last Supper, Jesus took the bread that they were going to eat and he broke it before them. And he says, this broken bread this is my body which is going to be broken for you and so whenever you take this bread and eat of it do it in remembrance of me you were worth it this is this is what i think you're worth and this is what i'm willing to do to win you back to free you from your captive 
broken body of Jesus. And then he took the cup, and it was as ordinary a cup as this one. No holy grail. It was just an ordinary cup that people drank out of. And he lifted it in front of him. He said, this cup is the new and everlasting covenant because the wine of this cup is, represents my blood, which is going to be shed for you. And so when you come together and break bread and drink wine, then um, do it in remembrance of me the blood that was shed because he's saying remember that this is my character this is my true character and this is my true estimation of you but as we do this I want us also then to be remembering that this is a call for us not to reciprocate a covenant involves two and so we're to respond by saying we will love like that we'll love the Lord our God with all of our heart we'll love others unconditionally And part of the covenant, at the center of the covenant, is our saying, we call you Lord, which means we submit to you, to your ways, to your wisdom. And as we do that now, that's where I want us to be trusting that God really does have our best interests in mind. I want us to be feeling the pain that our ongoing sin causes the Father. And by the power of the Spirit, I call on us tonight to repent, to repent and to ask and then receive forgiveness. Uh, as, as we go into this time of worship, um, there'll be, uh, first of all, some prayer folks uh, up here, prayer ministers up here and several on the side. And um, if there's anything that you have to be, that could use prayer, I encourage you to come up here and pray with these folks. There'll be one in the center, two on, in the corners, and two on the sides. And it may be, the Bible says that we're to confess our sins to one another. And... Um, there's a cleansing that happens with that and and I want you to feel free to do that with these folks and just know that everything that you share is held in complete confidence and it will go nowhere but that may be something that you need to do when you feel so led you can uh, come and take the communion we'll have communion tables up here two here we have one in back of the camera right there that is gluten free for folks who need gluten free uh, bread and we have another one in back of the, the sound station there for you folks who are in the back. And there'll be uh, several along the sides. And so just go to the table that is closest to you. And you can do it alone or you can do it with some that are here together and, 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 and sharing this as, as you want. Uh, but I encourage us all to do that as you feel led. There, there's one more thing back there in, the, in your left-hand corner, the back, we have a station of the cross sort of thing. Um, and we, we just encourage folks there to, there's a little red piece of paper, and you can write on this piece of paper what the cross means to you, what the crucifixion means to you. Um, and just express your heart. It's like a little love letter to God. These physical things can become very important on grounding them in our heart and mind. And then just pin it to the, uh, the, the wall that's made up there. They also have a, a number of these very, various pictures of the cross. And if, if you want, you can take one of these and, and take it home. Maybe even write out there what the cross means to you. Um, and if we want to sit back there for a little bit and just contemplate the cross, uh, feel free to do that as, uh, as well. The Holy Spirit is here. I don't know if you can sense it, but I feel like some people are going to be set free. Some people are going to be set free here. And it may not be easy, but it wasn't easy for him either, you see. And so I encourage you to receive the freedom. The sun sets free is free indeed. And this is what it cost him to do it. Let's walk in it.
So Holy Spirit, as we now go into this time of worship, I pray, Lord, that our minds would be on you, that we'd see the true beauty of you. It's revealed on the cross. And Lord, we open up our hearts here to give you permission to prick our hearts, uh, to give us an inside of your pain. Your profound love turned to profound pain as we have gone our own ways and been Lord of our own life and not listened to your advice. Give us a slice of that. Not more than we can bear, but a slice of it to motivate us to turn. And Holy Spirit, will you come and bring that conviction and bring this turning and set captives free. For it was for this reason that Jesus came and died for us on Calvary. We thank you, Lord. Now display your beauty in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to stand, you can stand. If you want to sit, you can sit. If you want to kneel, you can kneel. Uh, We don't have any rules about this. Just let the Spirit flow in Jesus' name.